wait by fixing what's broken in your life. So much better and so much more important that you take serious to make fixes in your character, your past, your childhood traumas, the issues that are around you. You need to regularly be seeing, God, what is it in my life that I need to be preparing my heart and life for, for my husband, for my wife? Hey, welcome to the Night Church Podcast, where we meet every Friday evening for worship at the Loma Linda University Church for young adults, by young adults. We hope this encourages you and someone else you know. Enjoy. Hey friends, it's so good to be with you here tonight. My name is Philip. I'm one of the pastors here at the University Church. If you're brand new to the young adult ministry, I want to welcome you for being here tonight. Especially want to welcome my buddy Lachlan from Gold Coast, Queensland, Australia. Thank you so much for being here with your team and friends. Love you, brother. Glad you're here. If you're a first-time guest or visitor, I'm going to do the embarrassing thing to ask you to just kind of raise your hand for a moment. Anyone here for the very first time? Got one over here. Who else? We got, we got a couple over here. One right here. Nice. Hey, can you give them a round of applause for being here tonight? Our young adult ministry really prays that we can be a blessing to your life and that you would journey with us throughout the next season that you find yourself in this community. We really pray that we can both support you, but also that you would be a support to us. You know, the kingdom is not built one way. It's built by the body of believers together doing something great for Jesus. So tonight, we enter into probably one of my favorite books in the entire Bible, and yet is probably one of the least preached on books of the Bible and one of the most misunderstood. We're entering into a really interesting season in the world today in which people find themselves not finding more, uh, not finding less and less opportunities on how to date, but many, many more. Every time you kind of pass another month, there's a new app on how you can date someone. A different way in which you can experience the journey of romance. It's an exciting season to be in as a young adult, as a single one, particularly in this community. There's a lot of roses to pick from. There's a lot of different people in which you can encounter a meaningful relationship with. And yet, the problem is that it's just so complex in how it happens. It's tough. As I talk to young adults day in and day out, I hear the stories of the challenges of how this works in a place like this here in Loma Linda, or maybe you're watching somewhere else, but it's not easy. The average age of how young adults get married continues to get older and older. Now the average age for a guy is 30, girl 28. Some of you are like, bro, I'm past that. What about me? Average, okay, so don't worry, you'll get there. They say that over 90% of people will get married by the time they're at least 50. So you got a little bit of time. Hopefully it happens sooner, though, for you. But we all, for one time or another, have hoped for that fairy tale ending of finding that prince, finding that princess, someone to call your own that you can give the rose to, that you can give that kiss and wake up, and it's a bliss. But the reality is that it isn't always like that. Whether you've never dated someone or you've just experienced season and season of heartbreak, 
And you wonder at some point, God, is there someone for me? Is there someone who's going to respect and honor me? Is there any way that I can move through this life of relationships and find what I need? But also, once you find it, the reality is, though, that it's difficult to hold on to it. We know in society today that though over 90% of people will get married, 50% of those will at least go through the process of divorce at least once. And then researchers of psychology and therapy tell us that of those that do remain married, three out of the five are in what's called a toxic marriage of convenience. And then one of them is still confused. And so you're left with this like 10% that are like, hey, this is a good thing. And you wonder what hope is there for me then? And if I do say I do, will it be good? Well, the beautiful thing that I have been so happy to find is that researchers from a Christian perspective have also dug into the misunderstood statistic about divorce in marriage. And they found that 80% of people who are committed believers, over 80% have a successful and happy marriage and never find that unfortunate journey of divorce, which is a very common experience. Many of your parents or even maybe a few of you have experienced that already. And so there is something to be said about following that faith journey that helps you along the way to navigate the challenges that are called relationships. It's not a matter of if you're going to have a challenge, it's just a matter of when and how intense it'll be. And so tonight we enter into one of my favorite books called The Song of Solomon. In some books it's called The Canticles, others it's called The Song of Songs. Whatever name it is, it's a book written by a man who experienced more of this world than many of us ever will. Sadly, the very beginning of the book begins with also a reality check of who this person was. So you're going to read through this exegetical series with me, chapter by chapter, and we're going to find the three phases that we're going to focus on through this series, the courtship, the wedding, and the early years of marriage. And we're going to discover some Bible principles and some practical teaching on navigating these three phases that I think are so important for you. And some of you are like, bro, I don't even have any prospects. Is this a little bit too early for me right now? I think you need to be learning and educating yourself about relationships always. Some people are unfortunately underdeveloped when it comes to understanding and navigating relationships because they are just kind of, well, I'm afraid of them. I have holdbacks. I saw bad things. I'm just not going to. Why would you do that? You're about to spend the rest of your life with someone and you are the least educated about this topic. Every single year, you should be reading a book about marriage and relationships. You should be going to conferences. You should be reading articles on this, listening to podcasts. You care more about your computer that you buy and checking every website to get the best deal and find the best program and everything. But when it comes to marriage, it's like, it'll come. Pastor, we're about to get married. Could we do some sessions with you? You know, no, 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 no. Now is the time you should be educating yourself. Get this great book. It's kind of almost like a really simple and fun and practical book on the Song of Solomon. It's called The Book of Romance by Tommy Nelson. Get that book, read it. Another great book that's on marriage called Sacred Marriage uh, by Gary Thomas. 
And then the final book I'll recommend to you is The Meaning of Marriage by Timothy Keller. These three books are kind of really important to the series that we're going to be looking at. So those three books, The Book of Romance, uh, The Meaning of Marriage, and Sacred Marriage. In this journey that we're going to go on right now, people have looked at this topic of the Song of Solomon through three different kind of lenses. Through the Old Testament, there was this beautiful understanding from Rabbi Akiva on what the Song of Solomon meant to the Jewish people. And he said this, the entire history of the world from its beginning to this very day that does not outshine the day on which this book was given to Israel, referring to the Song of Songs. All the scripture indeed are holy, but the Song of Songs is the Holy of Holies. It was thought to be literally the apex of the scriptures because it portrayed something that many people miss. Unfortunately, as we enter into the New Testament era, not unfortunately, but the reality is that the New Testament portrayed a different understanding of what marriage would look like because the Old Testament believed that norm was, hey, you're going to get married. There's no question about it. If you didn't get married, well, there must be something wrong with you. And some of you are like already feeling the guilt kind of piling on. We're not in the Old Testament, so listen to this. The New Testament, though, portrayed a different reality because we had the example of Jesus and St. Paul who both gave us a proclamation of the blessing of singleness while still affirming the joy of marriage for those who experience it. That singleness is actually used for the good of the people and to be truly a transformation for a community when you can focus on mission. The problem is that so many of us use these single years in desperation and we kind of waste the single time. You're finding yourself kind of rolling in this anxiety when you walk into a space like this. Is the one here? Could I find him in my classroom? Might they be at Sabbath school next? My, my friend, you know, and just this kind of this anxious spirit that goes around singleness. Some people live into singleness and it's like, bro, I'm confident. When God brings it, it'll be great. I'm going to put my head down, do what I need to do, and be a blessing to those around me. And I'm telling you, those are the sexiest guys and girls that are out there. Because they are compelled for the kingdom of God and letting that drive them instead of anxiety. But I will say the opposite, though, too, is true. It is not bad to desire to be married. Sometimes the church kind of shames you and thinks that you feel like, oh, well, it's, I'm not using this time. I'm feeling guilty about feeling I want to get married. No, it's good. It's a blessing. The thing is, if you don't feel that urge to get married, then you have what Paul called the gift of singleness. How many of you have that gift of singleness here? Anyone? You got any hands? Okay, no hands. All right, all right. We know the crowd we're talking to tonight. It's good. But the thing is, with the rise of the New Testament, particularly Jesus and Paul, this new understanding of what it meant to be sexual and spiritual. And the problem was, because of the example of Jesus being our example, kind of that New Testament ancient tradition of separating sex from spirituality emerged. Now people almost believe that Sexuality was a bad thing, a negative. One unfortunate kind of ancient monk origin who many of you maybe know about and read his works, he said the following, and then I'll tell you the crazy thing he did. He says, I advise and counsel everyone 
who is not yet rid of the vexations of the flesh and blood and has not ceased to feel the passions of this bodily nature to refrain from reading the book, Song of Songs, and the things that will be said about it. He was afraid of the Song of Songs. And then that kind of early church community started to look at it as a bad thing. Sex is wrong. St. Augustine in his book Confessions talks about the evils of sexuality. And yet he was like the most sexual person before he found Jesus. Well, listen to what Origen did. He felt that so deeply that he literally personally castrated himself not wanting to feel the sexual impulse and the desire that he would feel when he would see the beauty of a woman that God created. And so there was this kind of pendulum swing that this is the holiest of holy books. And then it's like, this is the scariest of scary books. Don't ever read it. Kind of then the rabbis would say, if you're over the age of 30, you're allowed to read it. But under it, no, 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 no. Because if you understood the symbols and types, you would realize that this is actually a fairly erotic book. Now, some people would look at this book as kind of like a biblicalized sex ed book. It isn't that. Then you kind of go on throughout history, and it was also thought to be a typology, meaning that we can't take the book literally. This relationship between both this prince and this princess and these people watching this relationship going on and the building of romance and its sexual ecstasy and the challenges of a new marriage and kind of navigating this. No, no, no. He couldn't be talking about that really like because the Bible wouldn't have a book about that. And so the kind of church thought, well, it's just symbols of God and his love for his people. And so when it talked about the man, it was, well, it was about God. And when it talked about the woman, well, that's his bride. And, and when it talks about her boobs in there and the breast, that must mean the Old and the New Testament. And, <laughs> and it talks about her beautiful neck. It must mean the, the, you know, the, the kingdom of God leading to heaven as opposed to leading to her lips. And you know, they just started making up stuff about this. They just completely separated the beauty of a man and woman being together. And so as they started finding these strange interpretations, literally of anywhere where they could find something sexual, it was like, well, that must be Aaron and Moses. And this must be the, you know, it was just like, what in the world? When you read these commentaries, you're like, these people are really out, out of a crazy world. And then there emerges now a time in which we realize, I believe the way we're going to approach this book is a beautiful drama between a man and a woman experiencing the joys and thrills and the challenges of relationships and the blessing that God has for us now because God calls creation and marriage and relationships and sexuality a beauty that he made for us to be fully enjoyed. But the thing we have to realize is that this book also counters two things. It counters a modern world in which sex is viewed through almost a different lens, a lens of 50 shades of gray, in which sex is thought to be that thing of selfish sexual abandon, that thing which is about pleasing me, uh, about Esther Patel, who talks about even infidelity being an option for a married couple, about Sigmund Freud, who looked at sex as simply being an animalistic release, 
Rather, when, when we look at the Bible and we see what it says about sexuality and the beauty that God has provided there, it's, it's the union of two people. It's a holy and spiritual place. When we read Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, it said that they were naked and unashamed. And they knew one another in the blessing of what God had created. It is also something that is deeply beautiful, but holy. It is pleasurable, and it is spiritual. And so what we're about to embark on, it it will be rated MA in some parts, especially next week as we jump into the pre-wedding and the wedding experience itself. And then then we're going to get into some of the real challenges in the third week as we see married life doesn't just carry bliss all the way. And so get your Bibles out. We're going to jump into this right now. So here we go. Song of Solomon chapter 1 and verse 1. And we start now here realizing who this book was by. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Boom, we just stopped right there. Verse 1, not going any further. It is said that Solomon, King Solomon, the son of David, David who did what? Slept with Bathsheba, had her husband killed Uriah, the man who had sexual deviance in his own life, who birthed a child out of tragedy, births now Solomon. Solomon who is both the wisest and also the most foolish. If you know anything about Solomon, he had over 700 wives and over 300 concubines. And so theologians, as they're understanding Solomon being the one who's writing this book, this book of poetry, this book of a song built upon a song and another song, is the one who potentially wrote this prior to all those women, that this would have been his very first wife, Or it would have been him as an older man at the end of his life looking at the foolishness of what he had gone through and sharing about the idealism of what God would desire for his people. And so we enter into the book that is written by Song of Solomon. Now, the Bible says, or history points to the fact that there were over a thousand songs written by Solomon, and yet this is the only one that remains that we've ever found. And so you wonder, God, why would you save this one? You'll see the beautiful reason why this is here. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, the virgins will love you. We hear immediately first from the woman. She's known as the Shulamite. Uh, the woman of Shunem. That was a region outside of Galilee, a place where Jesus spent a lot of time. And she's speaking here and she's saying some really important things that actually is very important to capture. She's like, listen, kiss me with the kisses of your mouth. Your love is better than wine. She's talking about, listen, you are so desirable that I want you all over me. Now, some people are like, whoa, the Bible talks about that? The Bible talks about that. The idea that attraction is a beautiful thing, and it is one of the first things that you'll see that this woman expresses. Sometimes people are like, well, why would you like that guy? Hey, I saw him and something hit me, and I just was like, wow, he's beautiful. Why do you like that girl? Did you not see her? Are your eyes broken? Like, bro, come on. Attraction is a great thing. It's, it's one of the first things that we see. But that's not where this woman stops. 
She says, your name is oil poured out. Therefore, the virgins love you. Your name. A name in the Old Testament understanding was this idea that your character is of essence. Your name is a fragrance that that comes forth that other people recognize this is not just a beautiful looking man. This is a man who has a deep-seated character that is of a high caliber. Even the virgins, these single girls, man, they are excited when they see you. And I'm lucky enough to be in your life. Now, when people think about beauty, you have to realize beauty is genuinely fleeting. Someone may value the beauty they have, the figure they have, the health they have right now, and then, and then what? You get into an accident. Bro, you lose your leg. Diabetes too gets you. You didn't eat very well. You get pregnant. Man, three, four kids comes and it's like, wow, my body's different. Beauty's gone. But there's something that's of essence here that the Bible wants you to start off with recognizing is that character is supremely valuable. Now, I'm talking to the ladies here, and I want you to recognize, do not submit to any man who doesn't carry a character of the highest caliber. And guess what? It says that the virgins recognize this too, not just the Shulamite woman. Meaning, if you're trying to prove it to your girls that this is a good guy after they've hung out with him a bunch of times, and they're not buying it, You don't have the secret on him. Well, when we're alone, he's different. But you don't understand him. Well, you have to realize he's gone through so much. His past is just tough. He's been in a hard season. He's studying a lot. He's under stress. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. If you're trying to prove that hard about who someone is, you're with the wrong guy and you need to be running. Come on now. It's not that difficult. It is not that difficult. Doesn't mean this isn't a good guy. Recognize this. You're in a Christian environment. Some of you have broken up with people that are here and you're like, well, they're a terrible person, a horrible human being. No, they're just really immature right now and they've got some growing to do. And that's not your man. That's not your girl. That's okay. Peace be with you. I'm going another way. And you leave it at that. You pray for them. You don't need to be trying to help them get better on your own. Sometimes people feel so bad for the person they broke. I hope they get better. I'm, a, I'm just going to call them. I just want to check. Hey, it's done. They can go find a mentor and someone to work things through. Your part is to recognize keeping your eyes Fully open before you say, I do. And then when you get married, you kind of halfway close them. (laughs) You have a lot of openness, a lot of understanding before you get married. And then you have to give and serve and serve and serve of yourselves both ways. And you do a lot of forgiving once you've said, I do. Why? Because marriage is for a lifetime. The commitment is difficult and heavy. And it's a long long journey. I remember when my wife and I were struggling. I've shared this many times in many places. And you wonder, how is it possible that we could go downhill so quick, so fast? Shh. It happens. So that's why I say keep your eyes kind of halfway, bro. 
I'm so glad that you've been listening to the first part of the sermon. This sort of production does require some financial cost. If you'd like to reach more young adults with this across the world, would you consider giving at praxisministry.org? You can select the Praxis Young Adult Envelope. Enjoy the rest of the sermon. So we keep going on here now. We realize this woman values character. Now, the others speak. If you're watching in the Bible here, you'll see that there are three main characters. There's the woman, the man, Solomon, and then this other onlooking party, the women of Jerusalem. You'll see some minor characters like the brothers of the woman and her mom, his mom, but mainly it's these three groups that are looking onto this. And so the others say, we will exalt and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. Other people recognize the amazing person that this is. Now pay attention to this. This is interesting. She says, I'm very dark but lovely. O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, don't gaze at me because I'm dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me, and they made me the keeper of, my, of the vineyards. But my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, of whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flocks. So here you see that literally this woman is ashamed of her looks. It's a really difficult thing. Body image is such a, such a challenging concept and, and just issue. For one reason or another, some people are born different ways. We've gone through stresses and seasons in your life where you just kind of let yourself go. I've gained a little bit after having all these kids. My wife's had the kids. I've just supported her, you know. <laughs> and I'm, I'm working through that, okay? But she, though, you have to realize, it says, was forced to work by her brothers, and she worked hard in the sun. She says a few things about her. Number one, it shows that she's insecure a little bit. She's insecure about her past. She's insecure in front of this guy about the choices that she's made that she's had to live with. Some of you understand that really, really well. You've made some decisions you're not proud of. You're in a situation right now that you're struggling through. And here, this woman is in the same place. And yet, it also says something about her. That you realize that Solomon, this man of foolishness, also is found in the Bible. A man who makes a recommitment to Christ and, and is now a blessing to people. Likewise, this woman too, her past doesn't have to be a predictor of her future. And so the same thing I want to tell you is that there's that beautiful reality of the kingdom call in the gospel. Your past doesn't determine where God wants to take you. Though some decisions and things have been made, it doesn't mean that's where God will leave you. But the other thing that you have to capture here is she's not afraid to work hard. You know, some women really um, might understand hard work very differently. We live in a medical kind of community. Some people who are on the outliers of this kind of, hey, I'm not medical. I'm a teacher. I do trash work. I'm this. I'm not. Uh, and all these medical people, they're not working as hard as I am. Different type of work. She was a manual labor kind of a girl. She wasn't afraid to lift things, to pull things, to kind of work in the fields. So you want to find someone who isn't afraid to work. Why? Proverbs 31. Solomon writes this as well. A woman who is industrious is a blessing. Because two partners need to kind of work in this area. 
doesn't mean that you have to work outside the home. I think a stay-at-home mom is one of the most beautiful and gifted people in the world and works the hardest. If you've ever had to watch kids, man, when I have to stay home on Mondays with all three kids, hey, that's a full-time job and more so. So when Elena comes home, hey, why is the house so dirty? I'm like, girl, do you know what this is like out here? This is heavy labor, man. And then she's like, you're right, you're right, you're right. So what I'm saying is everyone finds their space in industry. So being industrious is a value. Now I'm going to skip a little bit, just a little bit ahead. We're going to go to verse 9 here. If you don't know, now this is the guy speaking. If you don't know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats beside the shepherd's tents. I compare my love a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. You realize he just compared her to a horse? Man, girl, you are something else. You are like that beautiful horse over there. And some of you are like, man, that's such a weird idea. But the reality was that Pharaoh valued his chariots the most. And once he speaks of this, he's saying, you are of the greatest of value to me. But also that she is a mare among the stallions, meaning she is, she is the beauty among the thorns in essence. So she is of incredible significance. So when you're reading these verses, you got to recognize there is so much symbolism that's in here. But there's so much here. Now, I want you to go to chapter 2, verse 2, and look at this. Okay, wait, I got to talk about the breast for one moment, just so you see this. It's in the text. (laughs) Look at this, verse 12, 13, and 14. Some people skip over this. I got to say it. While the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. Don't get too sexualized here, okay? My beloved is to me a sacket of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyard of Engedi. Engedi was an oasis. And when she lies kind of there awake at night, the fragrance of this guy lays between her breasts. Meaning it's just, man, who he is just is an aroma to me. It's a blessing here at my heart and mind. I think of the blessing that this man is in my life. Men, I want you to remember this. A woman will dwell upon the man who treats her well. It will be as a fragrance that she thinks about when he's not even in her presence. Single guys, you're like, bro, I don't have a girl to have that with. Bro, can we talk about chivalry for a little bit? Come on. When you act as a man should act in the presence of single women, whether you're dating, married, doesn't matter. Women will remember that. Whether you're a married guy, they're like, you know what? I want a husband like that one day. If you're a single dude, I'd like to marry that guy. You know, it just doesn't matter, but it's just recognizing you want to live into what God has called you to be as a man in any presence and in any time. So live up to that so that she might remember you. Now, verse 2 of chapter 2. Listen to this. As a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. He's saying, listen, you're unique. You're special. You're not like everything else that's around me. You're a lily among the brambles. I want you to remember, you don't need to be like any other woman around you to be of significance. You don't need to be like any other guy that's around you guys to be a guy that, oh, well, this is the kind of guy that everyone, you know, should kind of be like, and this is how you'll be recognized. No, no, no. 
You be who God has made you to be. That is so important that you recognize. And God will bless you as you're faithful to him along that journey. Now, remember this now. Here we go. Capture this. Verse 7 of chapter 2. This is really, really important. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you do not stir or awaken love until it pleases. There is a time and a season for all things. Solomon repeats this again in chapter 3, verse 5. Listen, don't awaken love until it's the right time. Some of you are serial daters because you don't understand what it means to be alone and to sit in who you are and to prepare yourself, your heart and mind for the blessing of what might come. Others of you are hoping it would come at any time. Well, God, could it be now? Could it be now? Could it be now? Wait in a few ways, three ways. Wait by fixing what's broken in your life. So much better and so much more important that you take serious to make fixes in your character, your past, your childhood traumas, the issues that are around you. You need to regularly be seeing, God, what is it in my life that I need to be preparing my heart and life for, for my husband, for my wife? Fix that stuff. Don't sit in your crap. You want to walk into a relationship as best as you can. But remember this as well. Don't be afraid of problems in those relationships. Regularly, this happens when I sit down with couples and they're dating and she's like, man, he's struggling with pornography. I'm thinking we're going to break up. This is it. It's over. Or you know what? She just keeps going back to these issues that she's had and it's just a struggle. I don't know what to do with her. And it just frustrates, you know, I think I'm going to just break up. Problems are not bad in a relationship. It's actually a beautiful thing to be able to work through stuff together because that's the reality of relationships. Problems and joys and hopes, it's all part of the package. But what you need to recognize is though, you want to try and solve as much as you can before you say, I do. And so that means going to therapy, talking to your friends. Hey, how do people experience me? When I walk into a room, am I annoying? Do I really respect people? Do I help and serve? How do you experience me? Am I just a taker? I suck all the air and energy out of a room. Ask people real questions. Read some self-help books. Take active this time and season in your life to fix what's broken in the waiting. Second thing I want to encourage you to do while you're waiting is to serve. Use this season of your life to build up the kingdom of God and to do amazing things. You want to talk about a way that you can be a blessing to both our community, to this outer community, and to the kingdom of God. It's you using your talents in your season of waiting to do something incredible. And it means going beyond your careers. Can I be honest with you? Some of you have a lot of free time. I mean, a lot of free time. Netflix, video games, wasting time just playing ball and working out for hours and hours. Bro, how big do you need to get, honestly? You know, use some of this time to elevate, start a business, volunteer at a shelter, do something greater than you've ever thought. Use this season to serve and to make something of significance. It's a really beautiful thing. I tell people all the time who aren't going to church, hey, go to church, you're gonna find someone amazing there. 
people who are doing something with their life, people who are giving of themselves. And I know a lot of you here, and you're doing some amazing stuff, and so I'm really proud of this community. When people who come from outside, maybe from Australia, and they come and see what we're doing here, there's always this word that comes to me, this is amazing what's happening here. We had a young adult night three, four weeks ago now, Kelly. Over 600 young adults were here in this place. A lot of people came from outside of the area. And I remember in our meeting, the word was, I cannot believe this Praxis volunteer team that's here. Amazing group of kingdom people. And I wanna just give a moment, a shout out and say thank you to all of our Praxis volunteers who are elevating what it means to serve in the kingdom. Honestly, thank you so much for doing that. Thank you so much for doing that. The last thing I'm gonna say in your waiting is this. Deepen, deepen, deepen your walk with Jesus. This is the time to become a faithful person of the kingdom with the Lord. If there has ever been a time that you need to walk in faithfulness with the Lord, it is now. Because when you get married, you have kids, I'm gonna tell you of just the honest truth, it gets busy and hard. And you know what I'm relying on? the ways that I walked with the Lord before that built up the foundation of who I am now so that I can be steadfast in stressful seasons where I can rely on the scriptures that God has planted in my soul in those times when I was single and I had hours to be with him. And so right now in this season of waiting, fix what's broken, serve the kingdom, and deepen your walk with the Lord. Last thing I'm gonna leave you with now tonight is this. Character is something that takes time to develop. And character is one of the most important things you can ever develop in your life. I remember being in a young adult community there in Laguna, and there was this one guy that just, he just didn't take that very seriously. He would walk into places, and he was incredibly arrogant. He was very egotistical. He genuinely was bigger than everyone. He was like 6'6", and he was a really well-built guy. And he just didn't really value the idea that, hey, you've got to be someone of significance in this life with what's on the inside, not just on the outside. He never found someone in our community to date because people don't date arrogance. They might fall in love with arrogance because of maybe the security can provide but they certainly won't be in something meaningful and deep. And so I hope what you've captured here in this journey of courtship that this couple's experiencing, there's this mutuality of recognizing the character of one another. She's hardworking. His name is significant. His character is of essence. She is a beauty both in and out. He's industrious. He's a, there's this back and forth of respect to each other. In this time in your life, my hope and prayer is that you would take this so seriously and that you would recognize God is looking for people of the kingdom right now to walk with him deeply so that he might make you a prize and a blessing, a prince and a princess for someone to fall in love with. I have hope for you. Do not lose hope in yourselves right now. I know there's a lot of frustration that comes in this season of singleness and you wonder, God, is there one for me? Listen, the stats are there, over 90%. It's just a matter of when. But I pray that you would do this thing of courtship well and thoughtfully. Don't rush into it, but build up yourself. I want to leave this appeal to you tonight. Would you please...
consider one of the three things. Would you read a book about relationships? Would you consider volunteering somewhere to elevate your kingdom impact where you are? And number three, would you help a brother or sister out by recommending someone to look at that is of significant character in your friend groups? Help people, help them. Spot one another and guide people together. And you're like, that's a strange appeal to make, Pastor. But no, I want you to do that for each other. So I want you to find a great book to read, some material to dive into. Number two, I want you to really begin serving at a deeper level. Don't just be a consumer. And number three, help each other. And those of you who have the gift of singleness, thank you for what you're doing in this kingdom. Love you guys. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Night Church Podcast. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon. And if you have, maybe you can share this with a friend. If you'd like to stay in touch, you can follow us on social media at Praxis Ministry or come visit us in Loma Linda on a Friday evening. We'll see you in the next episode.